guys, this is Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and we are live in Las Vegas with Joe748 and SD1. How's it going, guys? How's it going, Joe? It's good, and we're going to talk like this the whole <laughs> podcast because we're in Las Vegas. I can't pull that off. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're uh, it's a boot camp weekend, and... Um, we thought we would bust out this kind of Q&A. So what, where this started from is Grease Monkey had the idea for, for his podcast of uh, doing five questions from the forum. And so he posted on the forum like, hey, throw some questions our way. And there were a lot of them. There are a lot more than five and some really good ones. And so with Grease Monkey, I kind of stuck to like super big picture things that seem even, you know, beyond advantage play and just kind of life. But, but that maybe that intersection. And I thought I'd keep... Uh, all the rest of the questions for another podcast. And here we are. Uh, SD1 was walking past and I said, hey, you want to do this podcast? He said, sure, let me get some coffee. Um, and so here we go. And I'm hoping these aren't yes or no questions because this <laughs> podcast will be over 30 seconds. You know what? I've never had a podcast be too short, except when I tried to do a podcast by myself. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be talking for an hour. And after 15 minutes, it's like, well, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I uh, you just start airing out all your dirty secrets. Is <laughs> that podcast yeah. available? I'd like that fifteen minutes. Before. <laughs> I, I think I maybe stretched it out a little longer than that, but I, I did like a I don't know what it was, just things I felt like talking talking about. But here we go. We're gonna jump into these, and the first question is from Snarky Sparky, who asks, "What's your experience as to the main differences in high limit room play and the main floor, other than the minimum bet?" So when you guys are considering playing out on the main floor or going into the high limits rooms, what are the things that uh, you're, you know, considering or thinking about? I feel like high limit room in general, I mean, it's going to be a faster play, usually a lot more heads up available on average for one. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you will, I mean, make no mistake about it, there's still ploppies in the high limit room, (laughs) but you will get less of those ploppies moving in and out and kind of, you know, taking rounds away from you and jumping in. No, obviously we like to long, but yeah, (laughs) ploppies jumping in and, um, and taking away good shoes is always frustrating. But yeah, there's a little more etiquette in the Highland. There is. It feels like. Yeah. But they also really think they know how to play blackjack, which is funny. The, the ploppies in the high limit room. Yes. <laughs> so I got to tell a story about ploppy from a high limit room that we heard last night from BCD. So Smurf, AP, and BCD stopped by uh, yesterday, which was awesome to see them. I didn't know they were in town. But um, BCD tells this story of he's playing in a high limit room with another guy that had an entire entourage. And the guy had bought in for 250000 and was up 60 thousand dollars. And... BCD said you could, it was really obvious they were ploppies. Like they did not know how to play. They were putting stacks of green on, on the roulette wheel all over the place. But the guys, whatever, he's just getting lucky. He's up a bit. And the casino, they're counting through the discard tray. They're doing all the things. And they just determined, you know what? This guy, he's up a bunch of money. So we're going to back him off. So they back him off. The entire entourage is like, what the hell happened? And he said, I took down the casino as they backed him off. So that brings us to our sponsor. <laughs> our sponsor this week is Dumbass Casinos. <laughs> Backing off ploppies since the beginning of time. And this is in Vegas, on the Strip, major property, like some place you'd think would be smarter. Or, yeah. 
So just because it's a high limits room doesn't mean that they're, they're necessarily smarter. But I think that's the thing that I consider is there's going to be more attention on you in a high limit room generally. Would you say that's true? Yeah. And also it's like, I feel like we had a, a lot of questions from the boot campers yesterday talk, asking about everyone was so obsessed with cover and asking questions about trying to avoid heat and all this stuff. But it's like, if you have a, a gambler who put down serious money, like quarter of a million dollars and is just playing, you know, horribly and they still back them off. It's like, you don't have to, you just go out there, you count cards and do your thing and, you know, just try to get in the hours. Cause you're not going to, the amount of cover you need to, you know, that's a really good point. People are thinking the casinos are smarter than they are and saying, Oh, well, if I do this one, you know, technical mistake, or if I under bet by a unit or whatever it is, start my initial bet a little bit larger, that's going to throw them off when the casinos, they're backing off guys that are just straight gambling. They hate winners. So yeah. if you're winning and Vegas is quote unquote seen it all. So they think that if somebody wins then maybe there's it's something new out there and they don't know what it is, but they don't care. Yeah. But then conversely, you have plenty of other casinos to Joe's point, like just play your game that are not going to back you off right away because you're laying serious action down. And the last thing some of these smarter casinos that are making better decisions are going to do is back off somebody putting action down. They're going to go through the steps that gives you time. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. The smarter casinos are going to take the time to evaluate and while they're evaluating, they're getting in some play. What about rules differences? Uh, You know, do you guys consider that? Yeah. I feel like, there's a decent amount of high limit rooms that have better rules than on the floor. Not always. Sometimes it's all the same in the property, but sometimes high limits like stand 17 versus hit on the floor. And pen can be better too. Yeah. Mm. So there's this balancing act of, uh, I guess what I've heard so far is you're going to probably get more rounds per hour in, in the high limits room. They're going to watch you more closely, but you're going to get better rule. You could get better rules, better conditions. I feel like another consideration is depending on what you're betting, you could stick out just as much on the main floor betting big. It's not like they're like, we don't see this guy, you know, betting up to whatever, a couple spots of hundreds of dollars. So if you're going to stand out anyway, why not take the better rules, better pen, better rounds per hour situation? The bathrooms are nicer. Oh, that's true. Way nicer. Way nicer. Way nicer. Nice private, nice bathrooms. (laughs) So do you guys like always gravitate towards high limit or is it case by case? Oh yeah. I get a pillow and I put my legs up and I get straight to the high limit room. It's great. No. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you kind of, uh, weigh that? I want Joe to answer this cause he's like mm. a ninja when he looks around a casino. Well, I have brought a pillow to the table. <laughs> actually, it's yeah, funny. I actually and got blanket. that from him. <laughs> um, he got cold. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't know. I kind of just do a sweep of the whole place first and just kind of assess what's the higher EV. And I don't think about the heat too much. Like if it's, if the main floor doesn't look that great hourly wise, I'm not going to play. I'd rather just go to the high limit room, even if it looks like it's going to be more scrutiny because it's just me in there by myself. But um, it's better than going playing at a table with three or four other people at it. That's true. You know, one other consideration though, is if you want to wong in, you're, you're yeah. not really wonging in the high limits rooms. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'll, I'll walk through, and if the high limit room is empty um, and the main floor looks okay, I'll probably stick to the main floor where I can, you know, bob and weave and wong in, wong out, um, try to make up for 
you know, yeah, maybe it's not as fast of a game, um, but if it's not like full tables, then at least I'm I'm not playing negatives or whatever. But if it looks like, hey, this high limits room, this is going to be the better game, the better situation. I'm going to stick out the way I'm betting anyway. Might as well play the better game or better better conditions. Uh, what about playing rated? Do you feel like you have to play rated in the high limits room? No, I mean I feel that question or pressure wherever I like main or high high limit room or main floor, either one. It's kind of yeah. Pit boss is going to do the same exact thing. Can I get yeah. you a card? Hey, we can get you a room tonight. Whatever. It's, it's the same kind of pressure. They see the action that you're you know whatever you're betting and. You're a player when when you get greens or above, really, is when it starts. You don't have to be betting black for them yeah. to start pressuring you on that. Yeah, I, this was kind of a out of out of the way place, but there's somewhere that I played. I uh, a couple trips to to a place, um, and at first I was playing the main floor, and then things got really bad there. They they actually were bringing in CSMs on the main floor, so really the only place I could play was the high limit room, and I played there for two trips, you know, multiple days unrated um you know it was it was fine now of course your mileage may vary uh but it wasn't like because i'm in the high limits room i have to play rated or or you know anything like that i'll tell you in las vegas if you want a 3-2 game most of the time it is in the high limit room yeah, <laughs> sadly yeah on the on the strip <laughs> yeah yep. yeah it is sadly that's probably the the biggest difference you'll see in the country is Vegas. Yeah, it's yeah. just wow, that's a huge difference. High limit versus main floor. Yeah, could be the difference between a, an edge or not an edge at all. Yeah, absolutely. And the bathrooms. Don't forget about the bathrooms. <laughs> oh man, there's some nice bathrooms out there, and there are some not so nice. Yeah. There was right. one high limit room that had a free uh, hand massage. Like there was a person on the suits that would give free hand massages. Wow. Yeah. While you're using the restroom? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Split Brain asks, what are the traps that beginning counters are most likely to fall into and how can they best recognize and avoid them? So the traps for beginner card counters. What what have you guys seen? I mean, you guys have both helped out at, uh, you know, half a dozen to <laughs> over a dozen boot camps. Maybe, Joe, maybe... Couple dozen boot camps. What what are the beginner traps you've seen? I the first two things that come to my mind are thinking their game is better than it is and overbetting. Those would be the first two things that jump out to me. I think that that can get them in trouble. Um, there's another one that I want Joe to take. Starts with a T. I feel like they do that under pressure. Ends in hipping. Oh. <laughs> Starts with T. Sorry, my mind was still stuck on the hand massage during the bath. Oh. <laughs> like, okay. Must have been quite the massage. <laughs> the yeah, it's, I mean tipping, yeah, that's a huge that's a huge one. And especially for most people early on, you just can't afford that kind of tipping and you just That's I think the broader um what that fits under is the umbrella of not understanding the EV of of their decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a newer player is thinking, oh, well, gosh, I'm betting up to $100. What's five bucks? But if you're betting up to $100, you know, well, what exactly is your EV per hour? And what exactly are you tipping per hour? But it's not just tipping. It's all those decisions, you know, a cover play or playing through a negative shoe, all the things where a new player maybe doesn't really understand the cost of every decision they're making at the table. But I, I agree with what you said, SD1, um, Thinking their skills are better than they are is is really common. I mean, 
that was my story too. So I'm not throwing people under the bus. Um, it's just really common to think you're perfect or close to it when you got a little ways to go still. Not spreading enough, I feel like, is a big one at the beginning. Yeah. People are just intimidated to get backed off and they don't like they're doing a one to 12 spread on a six deck game with like one and a half cut off. And that's just not enough. And they'll play negatives. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because they think it looks yeah. weird to get up and leave. It feels, yeah. Cause it yeah. feels uncomfortable. Too, too afraid, too afraid of looking weird, but it, there's so many weird people doing way weirder things than you in the casino. Like mm. playing was and, we're not wearing pants, which was recently. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a weird one. You know, uh, not to be self-promotional, but really the reason we created training software and betting software is because when we started, when I started, I needed and didn't have training software. And I learned the cost of decisions from playing with betting software. So if you're listening and you're saying, oh, maybe I'm a newer player, there's really no reason to be playing if you cannot consistently daily you know, play perfectly online uh, with the training suite or whatever app or whatever it may be. It doesn't need to be ours. Uh, and similarly, you need to spend some time with betting software to understand the actual EV of your decisions. Put it in there if you play through negative shoes and see how it affects your risk and your EV and say, okay, this is my EV. How much of that am I willing to hand to the dealer uh, because they're guilting me into giving them my, my money? I also feel like everyone is so paranoid about being database and they do the whole like rated or unrated debate and, and, but they don't, I think people are way too preoccupied with that and, and they ignore the fact, oh, I'm not spreading enough or I'm not sitting out enough on negative. It's like an endless loop where it's like, they're afraid of the database. So then they don't spread as much, yeah. but the real problem is not spreading enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, an easy way to avoid databases is not have a winning game, <laughs> like not spreading enough to, to actually have the edge. Right. Uh, though, as we said, they may back off losing players too. Um, but yeah, what's the whole point of doing this thing if you're not going to, you know, if you're going to fear the back off more than, uh, or to a point where you don't make any money? Yeah, that worried me yesterday, actually, during the boot camp. Some of the questions that came at me specifically I noticed that that became like a really big thing. Cover, mm-hmm. fear of being data-based, et cetera. And that, I feel like it's might maybe getting worse. Like people are getting more paranoid about yeah. it. I think it's just the age we live in. It's just, just everything is like, everyone's used to everything being online, like all their images, like all of your entire life. And it, it's just, as the years go on, more and more of that just gets your whole life gets put online and, and shared and everything. So I think people just have that mindset. Where it's like, oh, I'm going to go to the casino. My face and name is just going to be plastered everywhere. Yeah. But it's always, it's always a little reality check when, uh, you know, we do this pro panel. There's half a dozen uh, pros answering questions. And, and someone said, you know, how many of us are data-based? And it was almost all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and how, how many of us are still able to generate plenty of EV at casinos and it's all of us. So yeah, it's, yeah, it'd be nice to not be in a database, but, uh, if that's going to keep you from beating the game, you know, you're, you're, uh, shooting yourself in the foot or cutting off your nose to spite your face. And most of us have been database within the first 50 hours of our career. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't slow you down. Didn't slow you down. It's an inconvenience, but not a, not a career. Uh, killer. All right. 
Our next questions, plural, come from Scott Chow. Uh, Scott Chow is a uh, you know valuable part of our forum, and he is also a multiple year professional AP. And his question, interestingly enough, first one is, what's our opinion on maximizing versus optimizing the age-old debate? So I'll, I'll give a little context. He, he shared on the forum, he is an optimizer. So let me explain what these even mean. A maximizer says, I'm going to go after as much EV as I can, uh, not worried about longevity. I'm going to try to get as much out in the short term and say, I'll deal with the consequences, but I'm going after the money now. An optimizer says, hey, I don't want to uh, you know, skin the sheep. I want to shear it. I, I don't want to... Uh, kill the cow, I want to milk it as long as possible, and says, I'm going to forego some uh, short-term profits for, for the long game or whatever. I'm not going to bet as much as I could or as aggressively as I could, or I might even use a little bit of cover so that I can last longer. And Scott Chow has uh, proven he's been successful, I want to say five years of uh, full-time AP play as an optimizer, whereas at least uh, I'd say Joe and I have, have been much more on the maximizing side of things. Um, you guys have any opinion? SD1, what, what, what's your... Uh, so I would say I've done both. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a few stores that I've had information about and, you know, that I've taken six figures from before it was all over. And, you know, that was the cor- of the, over the course of a year. Um, so I would consider that optimizing. <clears throat> At the same time, like I feel like the optimizing angle—not the Scott's doing this—but that it, way too much is being left on the table. Like I was still at these places, still spreading up to two hands of five hundred, two hands of six hundred. Mm-hmm. So I had really good EV on these really good games. So what were you doing that was not maximizing? Um, I would, I, I would hit them for a couple hours or depending on how much I won or lost that would, I would bounce out and come back. Mm -hmm. Um, I would do that frequently. And, um, because of information, if anybody's heard anything I've ever said before, I I don't play rated. Typically I played rated at these places. Mm -hmm. Um, and I chose just like I, in Vegas only, normally for me, I did not split tens at these places. Okay, yeah. So a little bit of cover. A little bit, yeah. Um, and you know, it, it worked out really well. But I would just caution and say, don't leave too much on the table. Generally speaking, though, when I travel, I'm letting it rip. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've kind of I've done both, and I really, really prefer. The BJA way, as I call it, the Colin Jones way, the Joe way, and really like, you know, go get that EV. And and so, Joe, why have you gone that route, the maximizer route? Uh, I think at the beginning, it was like I noticed um, people, um, we would play the same properties. And a lot of the times the people that were had a smaller spread and a, not as big of a max, they were we were still getting backed off at the same amount of time. Yeah. So I was like, why would I just, you know, might as well just play bigger spread, bigger bets. But also I think it's important to um, really analyze and be like, am I actually optimizing or am I just decreasing my edge? Because 
you can fall. I think that's one of the beginner traps. It's like, well, I'm going to choose the optimizing route, but that means like a spread that's not big enough to beat the game, possibly. Like, it, but they think that they're yeah, yeah it's like, or even if it's you know positive EV, if if you've made the long run really long, you, you know, just might get discouraged and and like give up before you actualize your profit. You know, I, I was thinking about this because I got this question, you know, a month or two ago and thinking about, I think you need to think through like realistically, what are your long-term goals? And when I got into card counting, my goal was not to like be beating casinos for decades. I saw it as, Hey, sweet. This is an opportunity right now. And let's, you know, make as much money as we can, uh, now, because who knows what the future holds. And, uh, you know, it would have been silly to try to preserve things for decades. I don't regret it at all. Now, there are people, and I think Scott Chow's in this boat where he, this, you know, this is his career currently. He's not saying, let me just, you know, grow a nest egg to, to start another business or whatever. He's saying, I want to make a living, have it fit around my family and my goals and my values for the long term. And I've got these places that I'm willing to travel to, you know, whatever. I don't want to say too much of a story, but it makes sense for him. So I'd say for, your, for yourself, um, whoever's listening, consider what your goals are. Do you want to do this for like years and years? Um, and if so, are you willing to give up the cost in the short term to say, yeah, it might take a long time to get to the long run? Or like Joe said, I might try to optimize and I'm not going to get any more hours. I'm just going to cost myself EV. I tell that story in my book about going into this high limit room in Vegas and using Ian Anderson's ultimate gambit where I either is playing mistakes that didn't cost much. And I did his entire betting camouflage and I lasted two shoes because I won 20 grand and they're like, we don't want you here. And I was thinking, man, I cut my EV, you know, maybe 25% less EV for those two shoes and it didn't get me any more time. So just consider that and decide what route makes sense for you. You guys have anything to add to that? I think there's just pros and cons. Like the another reason I didn't want to do the optimizing route was um, I think you have a bigger chance of having having a losing streak feel way longer. Like if you're only playing twenty hours a month or something, it's you could have like a losing year. Like that's not very uncommon. Yeah, but if you're maximizing, having a whole entire losing year is pretty low. Like that, that probably won't happen. Good game selection and a big bet spread. It's going to be yeah hard to to lose if you're getting in and you know a, a pros number of hours in a year. That's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. I just think the grind. It's even maximizing. It feels like a grind. So I, I couldn't imagine doing the optimizing route and having a, a bad run for a long time. I actually, I, that made me really think about like the two places I really quote unquote optimized and I just ran really well overall. I, I oh, wow. like that made me think like, Oh yeah, man, that would have been rough to yeah. have played that like nine, 10 months and been yeah. getting my butt kicked in yeah. terms of like short term, you know, results. I think, I think that's kind of the Tommy Highland approach is, you know, like, I'll just, you know, play, refresh those casinos every year. But, but this game's, you know, not super easy to beat. I'm going to use a big enough bet spread to actually beat the game and not, not screw around with it. And uh, he's actually been able to do that. It, you know, it, it didn't burn him out after a couple of years. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but, uh, but yeah, why not just go after it? And then I'll just recycle these casinos. But that comes at cost too, all the travel and whatnot. Yeah. I think a lot of it is location based. It's like if you, I mean, if you're traveling, it's 
I think it's kind of financially a little bit risky to optimize in, in too much because your expenses will just pile up like, like crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Really like map out maybe a business plan. What are going to be my expenses? What's a, and, and ask some pros, what's a realistic number of hours? You know, I think they're like, oh, I'm going to play 40 hours a week like any other job. And it's like, well, that, that might be tough. Um, <laughs> on that, uh, as far as like full-time play, Scott asks, what bankroll do you think is needed for full-time? I'll start with, with my thoughts and then you guys can add to it. It depends what your expenses are. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I think people say, oh, well, you need six figures. I didn't. You know, I went full time with, uh, you know, a joint $11,000 bankroll, <laughs> but that's because we were able to live off of my wife's, you know, not much more than minimum wage job because we were young and had no debt, no expenses. Now my overhead now is six kids and, you know, uh, a house, not a one bedroom apartment. It's, it's a bit different. So I think you really need to know, well, how much do you need to make and map that out? And that's going to help determine what kind of EV. And then I would say, whatever you think you're going to generate, cut it in half. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, what, what do you guys have to add to that? What did you guys feel like you needed to go full-time? $10,000 in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that, that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not exactly joking, but that's because you're in a similar boat. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. what would have been the cost if it hadn't worked out? You would have gone exactly back to what you were doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I... I Going to take you 10000 a second time, though? Yeah. <laughs> so 20. It was 5000 yeah. 5, the yeah. first time, right? Five, yeah, 5000 five thousand, and uh, not enough training uh, led to 0000 <laughs> But, I mean, I think, yeah, it's, it, it depends on your, your living expenses. And, I mean, I think... 20 to 40 is perfectly fine. It, it depends on the person. Yeah, if you're, if you're young, uh, no overhead, uh, little to no expenses. But, but I think the thing that maybe people on the forum are concerned with is someone that says, I'm going to quit my career and provide for my family by playing blackjack full time. And they're saying, hey, hold on, slow down, think about this. You know, yeah. uh, how much are you going to need to make a month playing? What are the travel expenses going to be? What's the strain going to be when you're on a losing streak and you've got to send in that mortgage payment every month, you know, or whatever it may be? I think one of the, the biggest issues with all that and, and um, with my story, you know, I stayed a part-timer for a long time. Um, I had a good job um, at the time I was actually married and um, had a stepson at home. And I even after things started looking really good on the AP side, I mean, I, I'll I'll just tell you guys, like I wouldn't have been comfortable stopping my regular job until I had a half a million dollar bankroll. And that is egregiously more than you probably ever need, Mm -hmm. but that's me. And that's how I look at it. I'm very tight financially. I always have been. Um, And like you said, I think it's, I think it just depends on the person. I, I, if I had to throw like a random general number, I would say 50 to 60 K if you're a single person mm-hmm. and not a single person that has to live quite bougie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cause that's not the card counter life at all. Um, but I, I would say that range, you, you could probably get away with it. 
Um, but you have to be tight. And a lot of people that are getting into this don't necessarily have business experience. Mm. So they're not mapping out expenses and they're not mapping out like a business plan for what they're doing. They're just like, yeah, I'm going to take money from the, the dream (laughs) from the casino and go. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I think about it, I generally think that level of 50 K or more because you're going to be playing games that are a hundred bucks an hour or higher, you you should be. And then if you think, okay, well, you know, how many hours can I realistically get if I'm playing full time? And, you know, I would, I would think that then you could be making, you know, four or 5,000 a month at at least. And hopefully your expenses are a lot, a lot lower than that, whatever it may be, but yeah, map it out like a business plan, you know, Uh, we, we should approach this like as a business and uh, make sure you've thought through all of it. And I always had, um, I mean, other than when, when we had enough income through, through my wife that we didn't need to say when she quit, quit her job, I always had six months savings outside of my bankroll because I figured, Hey, you know, we should have profits at that point if we don't. And again, I was part of a team, so it wasn't just me putting in the hours, but if we don't, well, I've also got time to figure it out, <laughs> figure out, you know, a plan B, but, um, yeah, that's, I guess, probably enough to consider. You guys have anything else to add to that? I like, I like what you just said. Again, I'm, my background's in finance and your bankroll, if you're going out on your own, should be your bankroll plus your emergency fund. Yeah. That's separate. It should be the same thing. Yeah. That's a good point, Colin. And I, I tell people, you know, going pro is, isn't like, I feel like it's not the, for most people, it's not the best way to do this. I think, yeah, if you can, if this can be an active investment, you know, your return is going to be so much better than an index fund if you're, a good, a good card counter. Uh, but if it could be your investment on top of your job, I think it's less stressful. And I think that's why pros tend to burn out a little bit faster, which brings me to my next question by Scott Chow, which is what are the obstacles to full-timers enjoying careers over five years or 10 years or 20 years? Hmm. I want to take a quick moment and talk about the Blackjack Apprenticeship Membership. If you haven't checked it out, you really don't know what you're missing. There is everything you need to train, find community, and get the tools you need as a card counter. There's a test out drill in the training suite. And if you aren't testing your skills regularly, you really shouldn't be playing a casino. There's an entire video course that covers the basics all the way to more advanced stuff like cover, team play, casino relations. There's betting software, a forum, a chat room with regional chat rooms to meet with local APs, as well as results tracking software and members only podcasts. So check it out at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Um, I wonder why there's so much hesitation. That's interesting. Um, I think it, it's, uh, it's, it does get tough after a while. It's just, you, I don't know, the environment's starting to get to me at this point. Mm-hmm. Seven years in, I'm just tired. I'm kind of tired of just being in the casino walls. Yeah. I, I just, and I never thought I would say that or feel that when I was starting off, I was so, you know, yeah. on fire and just wanted to just, you know, be in the casino and take them down and all this stuff. But I just, I'm, I'm kind of tired of being in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, the first thing I want to say when I hear that question is there's no way 
on God's green earth that I'd want to be doing this 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mad respect to Tommy Highland and what he what he's done. I mean, granted, golf's a lot and pops in when he wants to, <laughs> you know, do his thing. But like, um, yeah, I and you know, I, I would say that learning how to maximize EV in the environment that you're in and always be looking for opportunities is a big part of um, success and staying in the game for a long time. But me personally, I don't want to be in this 20 years. Why is that? Well, what is it about being in there? It's just after a while it gets. It's it's so toxic. Like I always make the joke, like I'm doing the Lord's work, taking (laughs) money from the evil empire. And, you know, even my plobby friends think that's hilarious. But like it is, it's just so toxic. It's depressing because you, the more, everything, the more experience you get with anything, the slower everything comes at you, right? Mm -hmm. So. And skydiving, air awareness, you know, a minute skydive feels like an eternity eternity to me. To your average person, I could come up and punch them in the sky on the leg and they never even know I hit them. Like, so everything comes at you way slower. So everything's moving much slower. The casino environment doesn't get to you. And you start seeing like the degenerates. You start seeing like the desperation. You see behind the curtain that the wizard is not the grand <laughs> wizard of Oz and that these people are just trying to flip you upside down and drop every penny out of your mm-hmm. pockets. It's, it's all an act and mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's so draining mm-hmm. and being a full timer, there's a lot of not fun travel. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like in my normal real life job, I was like, whoa, it really must be cool to, to travel all over the U S and sometimes international. I'm like, no, I stay at the same Marriott's, <laughs> The same lounges, the same planes, like over and over. I don't, I don't see these places. It's not good travel. And even though we tell people like, hey, when you're traveling, you need to take a break. Like check out the area, breathe from the casino environment. There's still, the majority of it is not great travel. I mean, that gets to you too. And you have to travel to be a car counter. I think the biggest thing for me that I've kind of just realized over the past year or two is just like the biggest downside for, to full-time maybe maximum more on the maximizer side plays the isolation social mm-hmm. isolation mm-hmm. i think that's what gets me more than the actual environment of the casino because it's like i had this realization i was like oh I'm, I'm maximizing and the best part of like ap is the flexibility and schedule and you have like a lot more free time and, and your time is your own you're kind of set your own schedule and all stuff but i kind of realized it was like you know, I'm maximizing the casino and I have a bunch of free time to spend alone because all my friends are working and yeah. starting families and how, you know, so it's just, you're alone in the casino and then you're alone when you go home to sort of pick up the pieces because you're not there. You're always on the road. So you can't, it's hard to build a local community. Yeah. And that's really important for, you know, happiness. And I think it's going to be impossible to enjoy the act of card counting for 5, 10, 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about the people that have, because, gosh, I I didn't enjoy it for that for that long. That's why I started, you know, I enjoyed then running a team, and then that became a grind, and, and you know. So I think about the people that have had longer careers than, than I was able to, to make it, and it seems like there's something else. You know, I know with Tommy, like, he loves golfing. Uh, I think he loves beating the casinos. And so it's not, you know, 
it's not the grind it would be if it was just, you know, I think it works around the other things that he cares about. Uh, I think about maybe Richard Munchkin or people like that. It's, it's lear- finding new, new ways, new, new thing, or, or even, you know, James Grosjean, someone like that. It's like, it's the innovating. Um, it's, you know, they, they weren't just playing the same game for, for decades. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, or even for the church team that I think it was to, to your point, Joe, is the camaraderie, you know, it wasn't the game. It was that we were this, uh, you know, fraternity or whatever, or, um, that it was funny. Cause I was saying last night, like, oh man, yeah. If, uh, to, to loud and often, you know, uh, it would have been interesting if our team would have been smaller and leaner with the people that were actually like had a, the most success at it. And it, we could have probably, if we were smaller, gotten into some other thing, shuffle tracking or, or ACE sequencing or whatever it would have been, hole carding. And he said, yeah, but even though our team was kind of bloated, he said that brought that fraternity to it that probably kept us enjoying it a lot longer. Because if it was smaller and leaner, it would have been just about the money. Um, so I think it's got, there's gotta be something else. Yeah. I, I also want to, so BJA in particular, other than like, there's nothing else out there in terms of like training yourself and the content and, and whatnot and what, what you've created. Norm's got some good stuff. Yeah. N- yeah. <laughs> yeah. He does. Shout out. Yeah. Q- QFit. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Yeah. Not <laughs> <laughs> I bought it myself. Um, so the one, the one thing I would say that is really cool about BJ is the community that's different than just a blackjack forum that's out there. Right. No, yeah. So there's definitely a community here and no, Joe and I, Colin and I, like we're, we don't get to see each other all that often, but pretty frequently compared to where we live across the U S we do see each other and we do have that time and we have that with other APs. Yeah. Which is a big deal. Yeah. If the BJ community wasn't the way it was, I mean, hell, I would not have survived like as a full-time card count. Like I would just be burnt out so quick. Like I just feel like, you know, it's, yeah. But I just wanted to go back real quick. So this is kind of like the progression of the, like the motivation for me in the past seven years. So like the first part of it was this new skill and it was so exciting and it's it was so great to go to all these places and travel to all these states and countries and play and play and play and that was awesome and then it it switched to like okay well I've played you know over 500 places so you know the next thing is like finding that hidden gem where it's like wow you know because you're used to getting backed up fast so the next thrill was like I'm going to go to the middle of nowhere in this place and find a place that's going to play for like a month and then make like a hundred thousand. Like that was great. And then the next thing was like, okay, well let me branch out to some other AP plays. And like, that was, you know, switching it up. That was interesting and fun. Okay. But now it's kind of to the point where it's like, you know, done four or five different types of AP stuff. And it's sort of just like, I'm still in the casino. (laughs) You're still doing the same thing. Every AP play has pros and cons. Like, and it's just you're you're kind of doing the same thing, yeah. Uh, but the begin, I mean, it's just I wouldn't take it back. Like it was still so great. I mean, still great. Like still so much fun. I think it's a great adventure. And anyone who's interested, like, I don't think you'll be disappointed trying it out for a couple of years. You know, at least like. Yeah, so I think that's that's what I keep thinking about is you don't have to enjoy it for like you don't need to do this any longer than it fits your, your life goals. 
And the moment it doesn't, pivot, do something else. You know, I hope more full-timers are thinking about what's next. Um, you know, like, I don't think people realize, uh, you know, me and my friends, we were trying starting other little businesses, you know, the whole time and most of them failed and, you know, a couple of them made a little bit of money and, and, uh, you know, or whatever. I was even funneling money into real estate or whatever. Uh, cause I knew I wasn't going to just be playing. And I think some people, they get to that point where they no longer enjoy it, but they, now they need it, you know, um, cause they, they haven't been thinking about what else, but I think the other, like you guys said, is, is, uh, there's gotta be something else you enjoy about it, whether it's the community, uh, the team finding new angles, um, because the job itself isn't going to be fun. One of the things that I admire the most about the younger generations right now, um, coming up is that, uh, they are not like, stick to the job that they hate, grind it out, get that pension, you know, kind of like something that, that like my parents were kind of bestowed on me. Like you work hard, like provide, and hopefully you have enough when you're 65 to retire. Right. Um, they, they, there is a willingness to pivot and there is a willingness to say my happiness does matter. Mm. One of the things I, don't like about the younger generation is they're so willing to say, I don't like doing this and they don't stick to things. Mm. Card counting and AP life, no matter how cool it is in the beginning is a job Yeah, and nothing will ever change that. It is work for you. And I promise you it will become a grind and you will have to grind through it just like you do any other job. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Yep. So, so what is the, the secret career that is super fulfilling, makes lots of money, never feels like work? All right. I guess there isn't one. <laughs> I was going to say something. <laughs> that way it would not, I, I couldn't, I'm not allowed to say something like that. All right. <laughs> okay. Our next questions come from Jack Jack. Uh, and they kind of all revolve around the state of blackjack today, mid 2021, mid to late 2021. Um, he's kind of curious, what are, what are the trends? Um, the first one is the current number of other card counters seen at the tables. You know, uh, I've, I've gotten this critique. (laughs) Sometimes it's not in a very, uh, gracious way, but it's like, oh, BJ is just cranking out too many card counters and ruining blackjack. And I actually gathered you guys. I've, I've asked a lot of pros because that's the last thing I want to do. Um, but, but yeah, he's just wondering the number of other card counters seen at the tables. It, uh, have you guys noticed a big difference in the last, you know, year compared to your previous years as advantage players? I mean, based off info from our like surveillance contacts, it's like, it appears to be a, a large influx of players in the past year, but I don't think it has anything to do with BJ. I think it's just the mask thing. I think people who are timid before to go out and play, they have a sense of comfort with the mask that they feel more invisible and they feel less, and they're, they're more willing to. But that said, those people aren't, it's not like before where they stick around and they keep getting, they, they keep playing. It seems to be a lot of like one-offs, like mm-hmm. a lot of appearances, but no lasting play from any, from players. Like, I don't think there's like, it's not like now 
there there may have been twenty or thirty new players that have popped up in the past year, but um, it's not like they're twenty or thirty full time or even part time players. Like, yeah. have you have, have there been any like um, I'm curious about maybe people that counted ten years ago and they're just like maths cool let's right, go count yeah. some shoes <laughs> I, I really think that's what's happening like especially in vegas there's been a lot of activity in the past year and it's all masked uh, you know unrated players mm-hmm. um, i i asked this question to stan the caddy because you know he's out there he and zk are out there playing more than you know any of us and he said that he's not seen more card carriers to be honest this is his quote. I've not seen more card counters, to be honest, with the stakes we've played. Uh, I think the past we'd seen more. So he's saying since COVID, so they're, they're I think it goes along with what you're saying. Like they're playing um, not low limits and he seemed to notice more so, or whatever. He's not, at least not seeing more now than he did. But I, I think there probably was an influx of, of uh, maybe a little bit, lower limit, like COVID gave something to study and maybe some stimulus money or whatever. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, what I, uh, cause I have, I've asked a lot of people cause, um, this, this matters to me and I haven't heard like, oh yeah, it's, it's just like every table has card. Though there was that story from last night from Smurf AP talking about the first time he went and played, uh, a place that, that I, I used to play a ton and he, he showed up. This is like seven years ago. And he said, there's a card counter at every table. Um, <laughs> I heard him say that. That's once. because that was a great, that was a great place that was very tolerant. Well, I, I, I would say this, like, so I'm, I'm in casinos a lot, way, way too much. And, um, nine times out of 10, I'll just tell the community, like most card counters stick out like a sore thumb. Like I can spot them across the room by how they behave at the table, mm-hmm. even how they walk in, just like some other veins of AP life. You're like, I can just pick them off really fast. And I'm pretty observant going through a casino and I always walk by the tables cause I'm looking for things. And I wouldn't say that I've seen some huge influx or whatever. I definitely noticed like, Oh, this person might must be passing through this area or whatever, but like, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's anything insane either. That's just my personal opinion too. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add to it. I've been out. Uh, I've probably played less than 10 hours since COVID and I did not see any other card counters. So I can't really, can't really speak to it. Um, he also asked just about um, other things that have been different, like uh, casino staff awareness of card counters or um, overall countermeasures, like is cashing out, getting tougher. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to those. I think it's the same. I, I, I think it's the same too. If anything, I think um, there might be a little bit, not just a match, but more of an advantage staffing wise than there was for a little bit because a lot of casinos were slow rolling, bringing their staff back and they were operating off shorter, smaller staff lists. Yeah. So that is something I'm hearing consistently. Uh, Stan the Caddy mentions it and I'm hearing from other people in my area um, a challenge from short staffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the bigger threat than, oh, they're all of a sudden there's this huge knowledge base of counting. Like, I don't think that's true. Like, I think it's the other stuff, like the staffing and 
Yeah, so what, what is the challenge created by short staffs? Just not enough tables open? Well, that's that's a downside. And when they were limiting the amount, like, okay, cool. You go into the casino and it's a slower time and there can only be three spots. So you can get a spot. Awesome. You go in a busier time, you only get three spots. And I remember, I remember seeing the tape behind, the, like, surrounding the tables you just stand back from, socially distanced with masks on. And they weren't. They were just all crowded behind, waiting for their spot to get on that three-man table. So, like, those challenges are there. But then the bonuses is that I know for a fact that, you know, there are – they were short on pit bosses. They were short on, like, executives were trying to figure out what they were trying to figure out and how to make certain things work. Um, they were even more preoccupied than they were before for a very long period of time. So that's in the advantage column all the way. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Vegas has gotten way worse since COVID, just to be honest, you know. Um, And I think the other thing I've heard is just higher table minimums. Uh, I think some of those have come back, like dropped back to pre-COVID levels. Way worse as in like six to five tables. Oh, Vegas, yeah. A lot of six to five. A lot of six to five, and it's it's really just Vegas is turning into uh, what, what did you say? There's no there's no smart money in in Vegas. No, it's all dumb money. Yeah, it's all dumb money. That's yeah, not that gamblers are smart, but what I you know I said that was is that at the local casinos there are people that play at least semi close to basic strategy that are playing and understand the difference between three two people coming here. I mean, it's it's all touristy. It's like, hey, I'm gonna win in Vegas. Yeah. It's, I, this was the trend before COVID. I think Vegas is realizing, you know what? We're not about gambling exclusively. We're about people coming and partying. People, you know, the the restaurants, the shows, the clubs. And well, people are here from out of town. They've got money to blow. Let's just get as much money out of them as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is really pour rules and people are being okay with it. Now, I think COVID accelerated that because the casinos were freaking out about how much money they lost being closed for, you know, months. It and just so, gave them an excuse to do what they've yeah. always wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just supply and demand. I mean, uh, people are recently have been coming to Vegas in droves because they have been tired of being at home and, you know, they're going to play six. They don't care yep. about six to five. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, I flew all the way here and I yeah. want three to two table. Like, but I've been telling people for several, for a few years now, hey, Vegas is not the best place to be a card counter. So it's a bummer to see because, gosh, for close to 20 years, I've been coming to Vegas and back counting and wonging in up and down the strip. And now it's like not really that that viable or it's it's hard to find. It's, it's still, you can do it, but it's harder to find. Or it's like, oh, you got to back count and wong into a $50 minimum because that's the only three to two you can find. But I think around the country, yeah, a little bit higher table minimums, but also inflation's going up. I was thinking about that. I'm I'm reading this story of the guy that worked with Ed Thorpe when he was basically trying card counting. Uh, It's, yeah, it's it's this old article that that, uh, Arnold Snyder references in his book, and I'm just reading it because it's fascinating. But he's playing these $1 tables, and I know people are like, oh, man, that would be amazing. Well, that's a $10 table today, Mm -hmm. you know? and they had to spend, they had to have a guy up as part of Ed Thorpe's crew that watched for cheaters the entire time. Imagine if to be a card counter, you had to have some there, someone there with you that was an expert in watching dealers to make sure you're not being cheated. Wow. But anyway, my point is, even with inflation, you know, the $15 minimum, well, that's probably as much because of inflation over the last five years as it is 
just like, oh, casinos are ratcheting it up. Like this is going to continue uh, as the dollar, you know, that's just part of part of our, our financial system. It's not, oh, casinos are, but they did bump it up post-COVID, bumped it up significantly, I think, because they said, we lost a ton of money. We're, we can't have as many table, tables open, so we got to make up for it by the people that are desperate to play. Yeah, they <laughs> just want to play anything. They'll play $50 minimum yeah. if, if they have to. I always tell people that I would be thrilled, even though I would lose all my income, that if suddenly, even though I'm a freedoms guy, like, and I believe in, you know, capitalism in our, in our society, but if every casino went out of business tomorrow, I'd be thrilled. Like that, that would be good for humanity and humankind. I have over what, however long my AP career has been given up that that's ever going to happen. And, and recently that happened because I, as soon as you could travel, I was traveling around the country during the COVID mania on airplanes with four people in them. And I came to Vegas several times and I, it was like weeks between a trip where the roads were empty and nobody was on the sidewalks to the outside escalators being packed. And I was like, give up hope on humanity. Gambling is here to stay (laughs) and Vegas is going to be able to exploit every single bit of this. I mean, it just, it, it is what it is here. Yeah. So Vegas, not so great, but there's still places around, you know, strip too. You got to hunt for it, but off strip, maybe a little bit better games, but around the country. Yeah. Yeah. It's still the same. Blackjack's blackjack. I haven't heard any stories of like universal penetration getting worse. Yeah. No. I've heard a bunch of stories this weekend from boot campers all around the country and they're talking about all these great conditions that they find that I didn't find yeah. five years ago at the same places. Like, Yeah. I I always love hearing from uh, Smurf AP and BCD because they haven't gotten into, you know, I think they're just doing what they do year after year. And, you know, they're, they're uh, the BJ Tommy Highlands, you know, uh, and it's like, think, oh, well, you can't do this, you know, and they're still, they're still doing it. Yeah. I'm cool. Here's our last questions. We're, we're, uh, Running a little short on time. Not that there's any official time limit, but we got boot camp to do. Uh, <laughs> Photo guy says, although I've been advised in the in the training course to never sit at a table until you're 100% ready, this is not entirely true. But but what what he's hearing is, you know, don't sit at a table until you can play, you know, perf- uh, 100% perfectly. Says, what about playing basic strategy and flat betting at a red chip table to get a feel for the real live uh, life environment? During training, so I, really, his question is: Do you have to wait till you're a hundred percent perfect card counter to play in a casino? Uh, what? How did you guys approach this, or, or how would you advise someone that's training to approach this? It is it worth it to? Yeah, it's just um, I, it can be valuable, but is it? It'll cost something like ten or fifteen an hour or so, you know. And, yeah. But then that's like the best case scenario. So prepare yourself. It's like, oh, I'm going to go practice for. 10 hours minus $10 an hour, mm-hmm. but you could lose way more than that. Or you, you could win. Parents, yeah. Or you win. But yeah, it's just, do you want to just add that into your training cost? Yeah. I, so my go-to thing is I didn't, I was pretty sure based off the tools that, you know, I was a positive player. I was a winning player. And I was pretty sure that I was uh, a perfect player. I played a little bit at that point, not just basic strategy, um, before I came to boot camp. And that's 
that's the road that I took. And I was not betting what I could bet either. I wasn't spreading that way. I think that it's it can be a little bit of a trap because I'm going to say this. You can absolutely make it a business expense if for your comfort level and your emotions to be, especially if you've never been in casinos before and your first time sitting down, that it would be, it could be advantageous to make that a business expense. But that can also be a trap for you because that... <laughs> It's a slippery slope is what I mean. Yeah. I mean, the, I actually have a video about taking your training to the casino because it is a necessary step. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can do it at home. That doesn't mean you can do it in a casino. But you, you do. You have to view it as part of your training, not, you know, oh, I've been practicing for 10 hours. I want to go try this out in a casino. Um, that's, that's, I think, the trap. Um, but, yeah, the reality is at some point you got to transition those skills to the casino environment, see it as, okay, this is going to cost me some money, but... I have no other way of improving my game without doing this in a casino. Um, all right. Let's also want to do it for yeah. a long time because it's like you don't have anyone yeah. there to verify or back up that you're doing it right any, or you're keeping track right in your head. So yeah, and, and like SD1 said, don't use your full bet spread. You use a little practice no bet spread. And yeah. why do it at basic strategy level also? Like specifically, why, why not like train the whole suite? And, and I mean, mm-hmm. why yeah, would you yeah, first yeah. enter when it's just basic strategy? Get right. comfortable in a casino after you've actually yeah. gone through all the training. Yeah. It, yeah. When, when we train people for the church team, when they got to a point where they could uh, pretty accurately do things at home, it was like, hey, all right, now go start Redship. And maybe you do for the first hour or two need to play just basic strategy because it's all so overwhelming and you're not used to the hand signals in a live environment, whatever it may be. But then, you know, add in the counting while playing basic strategy, add in the deviations, the the true count, um, you know, as part of that process. But yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. Okay, last couple of questions. He says, how far do we take the goal of perfect play? Isn't that unattainable? Because people say, oh, you got to wait till you're perfect. You got to be perfect. And I say that. I say you got to be perfect. Um, he says, isn't that unattainable? I don't think humans can ever achieve perfection, but you're striving to do it. And what I would say perfect play is, is that, you know, I sit down with one of these guys and, and tested out, you know, 20 shoes, um, and maybe even live too. And okay, I make a mistake during that entire time. That's not perfection. Yeah. But that is dead, daggone close. So. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that person is a winning player and it's like, yeah, that one mistake. Okay. Instead of making, uh, $400 an hour. Now that person is making 398 an hour or something like that's Yeah. I think the, the reason that, that we push for perfection is because if we say, hey, you got to be pretty good, you can't be a lot of players playing losing games. Um, if you want to make money at this, you got to be damn near perfect. Yep. Um, and you can't set the goal as being pretty good. Um, you have to set the goal. You know, you have to have some you got to be so close to perfect to make money at this. Like it's very, very close to perfect. And of course, all of us have made mistakes. Or if we went out and we each played for 20 hours, there there might be, we might be off on the right count by one, uh, you know, but it, it's got to be so close, so close to perfect that those costs are really minimal. And I think people are, my fear is people are looking for what's an acceptable level. Yeah. Um, and no professional, you know, there's no professional that's like, you know, I want to be an Olympic athlete. 
how good do I really have to be? <laughs> They're saying, no, I need to be perfect at the, or as you know, that's the goal. Um, and the people that have a lower bar end up not making money at this in my, in my experience or in my opinion. Just remember <laughs> what your edge is playing perfect counting cards. It's yeah, it not that big. All right, last question. Oh, these last couple of questions are from Photo Guy. So Photo Guy, thanks for sending in the questions. He says, does anyone have any ideas on how to keep track of rounds per hour so it is as close to accurate as possible? And I, I could go in my rant, but I want to hear you guys first. As a, as a guy that loves data, I am a fan of getting to as close as accurate as possible. But the longer my career has gone, I also realize that that is wasted brain energy. And um, generally speaking now, when it comes to counting, if I have a spread and I know that EV, I also know that that EV is overestimated because in live environments, I might not be getting 100 rounds an hour. But I also know there are opportunities where I'm getting more than 100 rounds an hour and it all comes out in the wash. I don't think there's anything wrong with attempting and doing the rounds per hour, but just understand what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, and I don't know. I think it it's more just for fun than it is practicality because when you go to a casino, if there's four tables and you look at each of the four dealers, you're going to know just by looking which one's the faster one, which one's more rounds per hour. If you watch all four of them deal, yeah, you're going to know right away which which one's faster. Because because the skill level of the dealers, the speed of the dealers isn't so close that it's it varies so much how fast yeah. people deal. Like it's pretty yeah. big difference. So. Yeah, my my whole rant, and I've I've been a you know big advocate of rounds per hour. Uh, as long as, you know, as long as I can remember, it's been a big thing that I've, I've pushed for, but I, the goal is to prioritize it, not to trap, not to like worry about counting it. Um, I think that a professional who prioritizes or a card counter who prioritizes rounds per hour is going to make a lot more money than someone who doesn't. I don't think someone that tracks it is necessarily going to make more money. Uh, or the, the value isn't in tracking it. It's in prioritizing it. Um, if, so if you want some benchmarks, I would say, well, if you're playing with, you know, four other people, it's probably going to be around in a shoe game. It's probably going to be around 70 rounds per hour. If you're playing with one or two other people, it's going to be around 100 rounds per hour. If you're playing heads up, it's going to be 150 or potentially more. That gives you some benchmarks. Yeah. So you could track like heads up or full table, but I would not you know, worry about tracking rounds per hour. Um, I, I feel like there, there's a, in, in a business, there's a thing they call vanity metrics, you know? So for blackjack apprenticeship, it's like how much traffic, I don't care. I don't track that. I have no idea how much traffic the website gets because it's a vanity metric, you know, it's a good word for it. is the business profitable or not? Is a business reaching its objectives or not? Those are the things that matter. And so I think tracking runs per hour is kind of a vanity metric. Prioritizing it, though, results in more EV. Yeah, absolutely. The only time I've gotten it so accurate was when I had a friend come and count the rounds for me because I wanted to calculate yes. how much I can afford to tip this dealer who's yes. coming to my table who's X amount faster than the other one. So that's the only time. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't doing all that in my head by yeah. myself. Like, Yep. And that's a very unique, a unique case where it's like, 
you know you can get this one dealer if you tip for it. Like, you know, you, you reserved a specific dealer because he was so fast. You have to know if it's a good business decision. Right. So then it's not vanity. <laughs> awesome. Thanks guys so much. Uh, we are running out of time because we got to get ready for this boot camp. but hopefully you guys enjoy this. And if you want to find out more or reach out to these guys, I'm sure they want their uh, private messages just full of, of, wow, thanks so much. That was amazing. Thank you, Joseph, for it. And SD1, best podcast ever. <laughs> you can find them through the forum. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll see you guys at boot camp someday. Otherwise, uh, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>